this morning we will turn back to Acts 16. And we've been in this chapter a while, and we will not finish it today. But it is a great chapter in Scripture, and hopefully you're seeing not only the significance of it, just from a biblical perspective, we'll talk a little bit about that today, but hopefully you're seeing the importance of it on your life and what it has done throughout history, but what it continues to do in the world today. Because what we see in Acts chapter 16 is we truly do see the power of God. And what we see is the power of God to save. That's what we see, the power of God to save. And I tell you this all the time, but the book of Acts is the acts of the Holy Spirit. And of course, the reason the Holy Spirit of God came to this earth, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll receive what? Power. You will receive power. And in Luke 24, before that, he says, wait in Jerusalem, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and you'll be clothed with power from on high. So when the Holy Spirit of God came to this earth, he came with power. And what did he fill us with? Power. We received the power of God. And why do we receive the power of God? To the end of salvation. Because that is the whole work, and really that's what the whole book of Acts is about. And in turn, that's what the whole Bible is about. If there is one statement that sums up the entire Bible, Jesus gives us that thesis statement in Luke 19.10. He says, talking about himself, right after he saved Zacchaeus, he says, for the Son of Man came to do what? To seek and to save that which is lost. So the book of Acts is about the power of God unto salvation for you, for me, for everyone. Because guess what? God can save anyone. God can save anyone. He can. And so we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about salvation this morning. And so just a little bit of recap before we read and start reading our text. If you remember in Acts chapter 16... The Apostle Paul and now Silas, he and Barnabas aren't together anymore. It is now Silas because they have had a split and they've kind of gone their own ways and they're ministering in different places. And so now Paul is on his second missionary journey. And so he is now in Acts chapter 16 reached the city of Philippi. So he has made his way towards Europe. He is in Macedonia, he's in Greece, and he is in the city of Philippi. And so what he is doing in Philippi is he starts out doing the same thing he always does. He goes looking for Jews. He goes for a synagogue. There's not a synagogue in Philippi because there's not 10 Jews to have a synagogue. But he looks for that so he can start sharing the gospel. And so that's what he's doing. He's just going around sharing the gospel. And if you remember, a little slave girl starts following him. And this girl is a slave, but she's also possessed by a demon. And she can tell fortunes. She can tell the future, the Bible says. And so this demon gives her the ability to do that. And so what she starts doing, though, is she starts following Paul and Silas around, and she just basically becomes a megaphone for them. She kind of advertises for them, and she just says that these men are here to tell you how to be saved, and they're here from God. And she goes day after day before them talking about them. And so... Paul gets sick of it, and I don't know why he gets sick of it, because it's just free advertising for him, but he just gets sick of her annoying them, I guess. 
And I guess one of the reasons for it is because she is announcing what they're there to do. The demon inside her knows exactly what they're there to do. They're telling people how to be saved, and they are from God. But guess what? That demon inside that little girl is on a different team than Paul and Silas, right? Okay? They're, he's on a different team. So there has to be an ulterior motive for this. There has to be an ulterior motive. We don't know what that ulterior motive is, but there has to be an ulterior motive. And so it's just not a good situation. So Paul turns to the girl and rebukes and claims and casts that demon out of her. He says, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And that little slave girl is set free. But what happens after that is her owners, she has multiple owners, she has masters, they realize that the money they're making off this little girl, they ain't making no more because she can't tell fortunes anymore because that demon's gone. And so they get mad at Paul and Silas. And so they take them before the city council, basically before a judge, and they just claim basically that they're saying things they're really not doing, and they're doing things they're really not doing. And if you look at it, it's just anti-Semitism is what it is because they talk about them being Jewish and different things. And so what happens is the judge, the council rules that Paul and Silas are to be stripped and then they're to be flogged. And the Bible says that they're flogged with wooden rods. And so they're taken to the prison. That's where they would have done the flogging. And they strip them naked. And then two lictors, just like the lictors that would have flogged Jesus Christ back in Jerusalem with lead-tip whips, this time the lictors, and that's just Latin for what they are. And if just kind of interesting, did anybody ever get spankings growing up, especially with a switch? Okay. I, I never got a spanking, but I'm going to tell y'all what Latin means there. Is, is anybody, has your mama ever said to you, come get your licks? Where do you think that word comes from? It comes from Latin. It comes from lictor because that's what a lictor did. He delivered licks, okay? And so Paul and Silas, they got their licks with a big old stick, not a switch. And so they got beaten with wooden rods is what they got beaten with. And so they have lacerations. They have wounds on their back. And you're going to see how we know that not long. But they have wounds, lacerations on their back. And then the Bible says that they're ordered, the council orders them to be taken into the prison and they're thrown into the inner dungeon, basically solitary confinement. They're put in stocks. They're put in chains. And, of course, we looked at last week. While they're there at midnight, what do they start doing? they start praying and they start praising God. And if you want to see where power is in our life, there's power in praise. And I love that. And we looked at how every prisoner in that prison was listening to them as they praise God. And then God, of course, sends an earthquake and it shakes only that prison, not the rest of the town, only that prison. The doors of the jail fall off. They're wide open. The chains of every prisoner fall off and they're free. But guess what? None of them do. None of them leave the prison. They stay there. They don't know what to do. And the jailer who's in charge of them all is what we're going to read about today. So that's what we're going to look at. So if you have your Bible, we'll start reading in verse 29. Because this is what happens next, right after the earthquake. The jailer called for lights. Okay, now I love this. Now, why did the jailer call for lights? It was dark. It was really dark. They didn't have electricity, and he couldn't flip a switch and have all the lights in the prison come on. 
He had to call for lights. So basically, everybody under him, this jailer would have been a Roman soldier, and he would have been a prominent Roman soldier. He would have been an officer. And so he had soldiers under him that managed this prison. So he had to call for them to bring torches in so that he could see. Now, what did he want to see? One thing I didn't tell you is right after the earthquake, and the prisoners stayed there, even though the doors were open and their chains fell off. The Bible says that the jailer thought all of them had left and thought his life was over. Because as a Roman soldier, if you don't do your job, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. So this jailer thought he was going to die, so he was just going to take care of it himself. So he took his sword, and he was going to fall on his sword, basically. He was going to kill himself. But what happened? Paul cries out. And he says, no, don't. We're all here. Not Paul and Silas. All of us are here. All the prisoners are here. Now, here's a question. How did Paul know that? He can't see Jack. He is in the inner dungeon. I mean, he is inner dungeon. He's in solitary confinement with Silas. He cannot see the hand in front of his face. There are no windows. There's nothing for him to see. So it is pitch dark, but he knows, number one, the jailer's about to fall on his sword and kill himself. Number two, that every prisoner in that prison is still there. How does he know that? Okay, it's got to be the Holy Spirit, right? It's the power of God. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit of God. And so he calls out to this jailer, don't kill yourself, we're all here. So this is what happens. Then the jailer calls for lights and ran into the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. I love it. Keep reading. Then he brought them out and he asked them a question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Okay, let's talk about this just a moment because he asked a great question. What must I do to be saved? One of the best questions in all of God's Word. And there's a lot of questions in God's Word if you think about it. But this is probably the best. Now let's go back to verse 29 because the jailer calls for something. He calls for light. Okay, now we talked a little bit about this last week. But when Jesus starts the book of Acts, because the book of Acts starts with Jesus, it starts right after his resurrection. Remember, it's just the book of Luke continued. That's all Acts is. And Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's teaching his disciples something for 40 days and for 40 nights. What's he teaching his disciples about? The kingdom of God. That's what he's teaching them about. For 40 days and 40 nights, he teaches them about the kingdom of God. The first words he says on this earth from a sermon standpoint, he says, repent because something is near. What? The kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God is near. He's talking about himself. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. It's me. So to Jesus, the kingdom of God is pretty important. It's the first sermon he ever preached. Guess what? It's the last sermon he ever preached. So the kingdom of God is important. And the book of Acts is about the advancement of the kingdom of God through his church, through his people. Paul tells you that at the end. What did he talk about in Rome, sitting in prison? Anyone who would listen to him, he told them about the kingdom of God. Go read the last few verses of Acts. Okay, so the kingdom of God is what the book of Acts is about, but it's also about another kingdom. And you see it in Acts chapter 16. 
Because there's a kingdom on this earth right now that's not the kingdom of God. And it's in control, by the way. Who is the ruler of this earth? Satan. He's the God of this world. Okay, so you have a war, a fight, a battle going on between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, right? Okay, so now let's think about this prison for just a moment. From a spiritual perspective, what does this prison represent? Darkness, right? I mean, you see it in a physical sense. Could anybody see in that prison? No, they had to call for lights, right? The jailer had to call for a light so that he could see. The people in that prison were in darkness. Why do you think they were listening to Paul and Silas while they were praying and praising God? Because they were in darkness. And what did they need? They need light. Go back to John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, right after Jesus Christ, how's the story about the woman thrown at his feet caught in adultery? And that's the story where the Pharisees are trying to trick him and they're going to stone this girl and they try to trick Jesus and he says, well, whoever has no sin casts the first stone. Right after that, in verse 12, do you know what Jesus Christ says? He says, I am what? The light of the world. And anyone who comes to me will no longer walk in what? But will have light that leads to life. So what does the jailer call for? He calls for light. He calls for light. And then something else happens right after that. Not only does he call for light, he ran into the dungeon and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Okay, the word there for fall down, that word is the word prostrate. Okay, that's the word where you're lying flat on your face before God. Okay, that's what he does before Paul and Silas. And what else is he doing? He's not only lying flat on his face, he's trembling. Okay, why do you think he's trembling? Well, he probably is scared. I mean, think about it. He's just had an earthquake hit his house because he lived right beside it, obviously. <laughs> And he also sees what God did in that jail. He's afraid. But I believe he's under conviction. Right? Okay. What is the work of the Holy Spirit according to Jesus? He tells us this in John just before he goes to the cross. He will convict the world of what? Sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, did this jailer think he was going to be judged from an earthly perspective? That's why he was going to kill himself. Okay, but now I think he understands that there's a greater judge here that he knows nothing about. And I believe the Holy Spirit of God that brought the earthquake in the first place and power was there working on that jailer, and he was convicting him of his sin. And I believe that's why he's trembling. Well, how do I know? Well, what's the next question he asked? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
Okay, now that's, I said it's one of the greatest questions in the Bible, but it's an interesting question nonetheless. Do you believe this Roman jailer knew anything about salvation? I mean, how would he? I mean, he's not Jewish. He's Roman. Okay, he's grown up his entire life in a culture that worshipped gazillions of gods, gazillions of them. And you worshipped any god you wanted to worship, and that was great, and that was wonderful. But now he's asking a question about salvation. What must I do to be saved? How did he know to ask that question? Now, I don't know the answer to this because the Bible doesn't tell me this. But now remember where they are. They're in Philippi. And what had Paul and Silas been doing? They've been preaching about salvation. He might not have heard them preach, but what did the little slave girl go around in front of them saying everywhere they went before they went there? They're telling you how to be what? Saved. Now, they might have heard this slave girl. I don't know. This jailer could have. I mean, he's a prominent citizen in, Rome, in Philippi there. Now, let's think about something else. I don't know this, but this is a possibility. Let's think about the beating, the flogging that Paul and Silas got when they were stripped naked and beaten with rods. Who do you think would have been in charge of that beating? The jailer, the Roman officer. Now, he might not have been one of the lictors that gave the beating, but he would have been in charge of the beating. Okay, now, I don't know this, but what do you think Paul and Silas were doing while they were being beaten? Praying. Probably praying. And maybe praising God, just like they were in the prison in stocks and chains. What else would they have been doing? I don't know. If it had been me, I'd have probably been crying. But I don't know what they were doing, right? But do you think in that moment they might have been calling out to Jesus? In that moment they might have been praising him even for the stripes upon their back to be counted worthy with Jesus in suffering, in persecution? You know, that's biblical, right? Paul says that later, by the way. I don't know, but this jailer somehow knew how to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? He knew to ask the question. He had to know how to ask the question and what to ask in the first place. But the most important part is Paul and Silas do something. What do they do? They tell him how to be saved. Because here's a question for you and me. Can anyone be saved without knowing how to be saved? No. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I can cry out for salvation all day long. And I can cry out for God to save me. But if I don't know how to be saved, can I be saved? What does Romans 10 tell us? Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing what? Okay, faith comes by and hearing. Can you be saved without knowledge? These are important questions. Can you be saved without knowledge? Faith comes by and hearing the word of God. If you go, that's Romans 10, by the way. Okay, if you go on and read Romans chapter 10, you should read it because it's a great chapter. 
But verse 13 says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how can they call upon him if they never hear about him? And how can they hear about him if no one is ever sent? Okay, faith has to have an object, right? What is the object of our faith? Jesus. So if I cry out for salvation and there's not an object to that salvation, am I saved? No. Can you be saved without Jesus? No. How can you know about Jesus unless you know about Jesus? You cannot. Is there a way? No. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So this jailer cries out, Sozo, that's the Greek for saved. It just means to be rescued. What does he want to be rescued from? Judgment. His sin. He's under conviction, obviously, as he's laying down flat on his face before Paul and Silas, crying out for salvation. But he has to know. So what do Paul and Silas do? Verse 31, they replied, believe in what? Okay. And you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And then what did they do in verse 32? And they shared the word of the Lord with him. Why did they share the word of the Lord with him? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. And what is the word of God about? It's about Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. Everywhere in it, it's about Jesus Christ. And so anyone in your life and anyone on this earth that doesn't know about Jesus cannot be saved, period. So why do you think it is imperative biblically that we go and we tell and we share Jesus? Because it's the only way to salvation. Okay, so when we don't go and when we don't share and we don't proclaim Jesus, what in turn happens? Nothing happens. No one is saved. God's not sending angels with this message, right? No. He has sent you, and he has sent me, and he has sent us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because without it, no one is saved, period. So guess where the onus of that is? Is it on God for people who are not saved? No. It is on you, and it is on me, correct? And we don't like that, do we? No, because we have guilt and blood on our hands, correct? Of course you do. How many opportunities have you had to share Jesus? And how many times have you been prompted and led by the Holy Spirit to share Christ with someone and you didn't do it? I don't want to know the times, how many times it has been in my life, right? And don't lie, every one of you are just like me. Is there another way to salvation? There is no other way to salvation. And so if people don't hear Jesus, will they just automatically get a free pass into heaven? No. No. Because if that was reality, and if all you had to do was get to heaven is to never hear the name Jesus, and you'll be safe just because you didn't know, what would be the dumbest thing God could have told us to do? Tell people about Jesus. That would be stupid. I mean, would it not? 
If you get a free pass, and just because you don't hear the name Jesus, and just because you didn't know you're going to get into heaven, the dumbest thing on this earth would be for us to go on mission trips. The dumbest thing on this earth would be able to spend money for people to plant their lives in places that have never heard the name Jesus. Would that not be stupid? It would be stupid. But the reason we do that, and the reason we sacrifice, and the reason we give, and the reason we call people to go is because there's no other way. Jesus is it. And the only way you can know Jesus is for someone to tell you. The Word of God. That is Romans 10. That is the whole point of missions. Why do you think Paul is on this missionary journey in the first place? How is Philippi ever going to hear about the name Jesus unless they tell? They're not. And so this is imperative. 2,000 years later for what God is calling us to do as a church. But listen to how they told him to be saved. This is important. For everyone, because this is just the work of salvation. We've already seen his conviction, and he's obviously repenting because he's falling flat on their face, and he wants salvation, and they tell him what? They say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Romans, go back to Romans again, Romans 10, 9. How do we know that we can be saved? If you confess with your mouth what? That Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved, Romans 10, 9. Okay, so Paul writes that later, by the way. Let's think about lordship right here for just a minute. Who is he talking to? He's talking to a Philippian jailer. He's talking to a Roman soldier. Do you realize that every Roman soldier had a lord? And they had to confess lordship to that lord? Every Roman citizen did as well. But a Roman soldier had to take it to another level. Who was their lord? Curios, Caesar. He was their Lord, and they had to bow down, and they had to proclaim that Caesar is Lord. Now, what would Christians not do in the Roman Empire just a little bit later from this moment? They wouldn't do that. Why do you think they were taken to Colosseums? Why do you think they were thrown to wild animals? Why were they burned on stakes? Because they wouldn't cry out, Caesar is Lord. They would only cry out, Jesus Christ is Lord. So this... Philippian jailer has a Lord. He's just not the right Lord. Guess what? Everybody on this earth has a Lord. You had a Lord before Jesus Christ. Now, it can be different things. For most of us, it's ourself, right? But we worship something. There is an object to our worship, always. And so Lordship here is very important for this Philippian jailer. Because guess what? Now, when he starts calling Jesus Christ Lord rather than Caesar Lord... That changes things for his life, very much so. And you want to talk about persecution? You want to talk about losing your job? You want to talk about a lot of things this leads to? What they're calling him to do here is a big thing, big thing. And it's the same thing like when we go to a Muslim world today. When you call Jesus Christ Lord, it's a big thing. You're going to be ostracized from your family. You're probably going to lose your job. You could go to jail. Many things could happen to you. We don't understand that in our culture. Thank God for that. But because we don't understand that in our culture, the Lordship of Christ is not a big deal as it should be in our life. So I believe it's hurt us. But believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
So obviously, what did this guy do? He confessed with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, right? He did confess that. And he also had to put his faith in Jesus Christ because he heard the word of God. Because Paul says, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but you also believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What do you think Paul and Silas shared with this jailer? Don't you think they shared the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ with him? Of course they did. Because what do we need for salvation? We need a Savior. And how do we know that Jesus Christ saved us? Because he died on a cross for our sins. But then we can know how. Because God raised him from the dead to put the stamp on it, the seal on it, so that there is no denying that Jesus Christ is the one and only Lord. How many people have come back from the dead and have remained undead? Name any of them, right? We can say Lazarus came back from the dead, but did he die? Yeah. Jesus raised another from the dead, but did they die? Yes. Jesus Christ is the only one raised from the dead that is still alive because he just ascended up into heaven, Acts 1-9, and he's sitting at the right hand of God waiting to return to this earth. So that's how we can know that Jesus is the object of our faith and should be the only object of our faith. And that's what they obviously shared with him. So he confessed with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and he put his faith in Jesus Christ. And then this is how we can know that he was truly saved. And I tell you this all the time, but this is how we can know. Look at verse 33. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Okay, what does salvation always lead to? Salvation always leads to life change. If you truly are a follower, a believer of Jesus Christ, your life is going to be different after you come to him than it was before you were with him. It's life change every single time. Okay, is this jailer's life changed? I guarantee you his life has changed. What happened just earlier that night? What was he administering to Paul and Silas? He was the one in charge of delivering the wounds that he's now what? Taking care of, right? He was the one in charge of their beating. Now what is he doing to Paul and Silas in the middle of the night? He is washing their wounds and he's bandaging their wounds and he's ministering to them. He's ministering to them. Is that life change? Yeah, that's life change. Pretty big life change. In just a matter of a couple of hours, it's radical life change. Think about people in the Bible whose lives were different after they met Jesus. Totally different than before. I said the whole thesis, the whole theme of the Bible is Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Go read the story just before that, the story of Zacchaeus. Was Zacchaeus a wicked man? Was he an evil man? He was evil, and he was hated in that town of Jericho. He was a tax collector, so he robbed everybody of their money, basically. That's all he did, and the people hated him. But Jesus Christ saw him up in that tree and called him down from that tree, and they went to their house, and was his life radically changed after that? What did he promise Jesus he would do? Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay him back, and not only am I going to pay him back, how am I going to pay him back? A whole lot more than I took from him. Was his life radically changed? Radically changed. Is the Apostle Paul who's telling this dude about Jesus Christ, was his life different after he came to Christ rather than before he came to Christ? Well, that's the whole book of Acts. What was he doing before he came to Jesus Christ? He was persecuting the church. And how was he persecuting the church, Acts 8? Well, I'll tell you what he was doing. The Bible says there he was attacking them like prey. 
He was a wild animal. And you know how I think he knew that this little slave girl in Acts 16 had a demon? I believe he was tormented with demons, and I believe he was filled with them, and he was going around persecuting the church because how could you do what he did unless you were demonized? And he met Jesus, though, right? Did he see light? He saw a light. And he gave his life to Christ, and was his life different after? It's pretty different because now is he the one persecuting the church, or is he being persecuted? He's being persecuted, and he's being beaten, and all kinds of things are happening to him. He's already been stoned to death. We read about that earlier. His life is different. And now this jailer's life difference because that's what salvation leads to. It leads to change. It also leads to something else. Look at verse 33. Then he and everyone in his house were immediately baptized. Salvation leads to obedience. What does Jesus say we're supposed to do after we come to Christ Jesus? You're to be baptized. Why? Because you identify with me and letting the world know that I am your Lord. That's what baptism is. That's all it is. And did he obey Christ Jesus? How did he know to obey Christ Jesus? Because obviously Paul and Silas had to tell him, right? Would he know any other way? No. We have to tell people what the Bible says so they know how to obey God's word. And so he confessed, he was changed, and he obeyed. And then, this is what always happens. Look at verse 34. He brought them into his house, and he set a meal before them. And he and his entire household did what? They rejoiced because they all believed in God. What comes with salvation in Jesus Christ? I'll tell you what comes with it. Joy comes with it. Peace comes with it. Freedom comes with it. And you see all those things in this story. We should be filled with joy. And we should rejoice always. We talked about that Sunday. Because this is what salvation does. Go back to Acts chapter 8 when Paul is persecuting the church. Do you know what happens to the church because of Paul's persecution? They're scattered, and they're scattered everywhere. But what do they do everywhere they go? They preach. They share God. They share Jesus everywhere they go. And the Bible says there in Acts 8, Philip, for example, goes to the city of Samaria. And what does Philip do? He preaches the word of God, and the power of God is on him. And you know what happens to that city of Samaria? The city is saved and then you know what the Bible says next? There is something in that city. There is great joy in that city. The whole city is filled with joy. Why? Because salvation came through Christ Jesus. Salvation always leads to joy. It always leads to rejoicing. And that's what this Philippian jailer found. He found the joy of Jesus Christ. Why? Because someone was just faithful enough to tell him how. But here's what always has to take place with salvation. Someone has to be faithful enough to tell them how. Is that not the whole story of Acts chapter 16? How does it start in Philippi? Paul goes down to the river because he thinks people will be gathered there from prayer. They're not, but there is some women there sitting by the riverbank. One of them is named whom? Lydia. And Lydia was a religious woman. She's religious. 
because she worshiped God. But the only problem, she didn't worship the God. So what did Paul do? He told her. He shared with this religious woman. And what happened to Lydia? She believed what he said. And did she give her life to Christ? You better leave it. But it doesn't stop there. Then Paul goes into the city and he just preaches. And this slave girl starts following them around. Now, we didn't talk a lot about this slave girl from this perspective, but think about this little girl. Think about the bondage that she was in, not just physically, but spiritually. And we talk a pretty good bit about human trafficking today. Do you realize this was human trafficking 2,000 years ago? I mean, of course it is. I mean, if you want to know the real impact of what's happening down south on our southern border between Mexico and the United States, this is not a political football. What's happening down there are kids, small kids, are being trafficked every day, thrown into slavery and put into bondage, not only physically but spiritually. And our politicians should fall on their face and repent for playing politics with that garbage because kids are happening to them the same thing that happened to this slave girl. It's horrible. It's horrible. But she was trafficked as a young child, and she was demonized. But the Apostle Paul called to that demon in the name of whom? Jesus. And he fled. But what do you think happened to that little girl next? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but don't you think she was not only set free from a demon, but don't you just have to believe she gave her life to Christ? Do you think Paul and Silas would do that and not share the gospel with her? And then we see the story of the Philippian jailer. They were faithful to share God and the gospel with them. And he was saved. And whom do you think became the Philippian church? What do you think was the start of the Philippian church? Those three. Right? It had to be. Who does the Bible talk about in Acts chapter 16? Now, I'm sure other people were saved as they preached the gospel every day as this little girl went around saying what they were doing. But who does the Bible talk about? It talks about Lydia. It talks about a slave girl, and it talks about a jailer and his family. Who do you think are the start of the Philippian church? And do you know what church Paul loves on this earth? The Philippian church. And do you know what we call the Philippian church? It's a letter of what? Joy. I mean, just listen to what Paul says here. This is how he starts out when he writes back to the church of Philippi, where it starts right here in Acts chapter 16. This is how he starts out. He says, This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Now think of what that little girl would have heard when she heard that. She knew what it was like to be a slave. Paul says, I'm writing you to all God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and the deacons. Verse 2, he says, May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace 
Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard until now. And I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Who do you think he's talking to? He's talking to the jailer, and he's talking to Lydia, and he's talking to that slave girl. And what did they do right after they heard the gospel? Did they not partner with Christ? And Paul, in sharing the gospel? Well, Paul says it right here. They knew what it was like to be in chains. They knew what it was like to be demon-possessed. They knew what it was like to live a life without hope. So what did they do the rest of their life once they came to Christ Jesus? They told others, and they partnered with Paul, and they sent him out so that he could do it all over the world. And it all started right there in Acts chapter 16. It all started there. But you know what? It didn't stop there. Because what is God calling us to do today? The exact same thing. Partner with Him in His mission on this earth, which is to reach people with the gospel and to share the Word of God with them because there's no other way into salvation. I'm telling you, there's no other way into salvation. It is Jesus and only Jesus. And people have to know Jesus to be saved. There's no other way. And how will they know? When we tell. That's what Romans 10 says. So tell. Amen. Tell. Let me pray. Lord.